Welcome to Flow Stars, candid conversations between Dr. Peter O'Toole and the big hitters of flow cytometry. Brought to you by Beckman Coulter at Bite Size Bio. Hi, on Flow Stars today, I'm joined by Andrea Holm from the University of Aberdeen. And we discuss how she was able to use her passion for traveling to her advantage during her scientific career. From Malaysia, I went back to UK to Bath and from Bath to Exeter. Exit to Singapore, Singapore to Germany, then Finland, Canada and Alberta, Alberta, Australia, Australia to Aberdeen. The differences between academia and industry. Um, I think, in, well, definitely commercial is a lot more focused as in its results orientated. And why she thinks it's key to understand the theory behind your experiments. And I remember one PI saying to me, I don't care how you get the data, I just want the data. And that's, you know, it gave me more grey hair. <laughs> and the advantages of being part of multiple network societies. Definitely engagement, networking, to be involved in the wider scientific community and not to be narrow-minded. All in this episode of Flowstars. Hi, I'm Peter O'Toole from University of York, and today on Flow Stars, I'm joined by Andrea Holm from the University of Aberdeen. Andrea, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. Uh, we have nearly got sun in Aberdeen, so we're very happy and excited. <laughs> well, we're good. I, I'm going to start with a slightly odd question. Where is your accent from? Okay, everybody asks the same question, and it's a... Uh, it's a long short story, but it's very short. So I was born in Glasgow. My mother's Scottish. Uh, my father's Norwegian. I grew up in Norway and I traveled. So I have an amalgamation of different accents. So um, North America, uh, Australia, Singapore, Malaysia, um, Finland, Germany. Um, and now back to Britain, you know, to, to Aberdeen. So <laughs> I feel like I've done a world tour. <laughs> the ultimate mashup accent I think would be fair to say uh, so how long were you in Nor how long were you in Norway for ah so I moved back to Norway when I was six so I was there until I was about 19 so that period of time really so yeah um you can do the calculation <laughs> so, and you came back to the UK to go to university yeah, exactly. So I went back to university in uh, University of Glasgow because I wanted to know what Glasgow was like. Because I didn't really spend any time there. I had a good biochemistry department, you know, and that was recognised from the Norwegian side of, uh, of um, universities and education, shall we say? You know, the, the degree was recognised. Um, and then, you know, from from Glasgow, I went to Surrey. I did a degree in biochemistry and I will ha say hand on heart, biochemistry is a good undergraduate degree. It teaches you to think, teaches you many different aspects, but I knew at the end of it, biochemistry was not for me. <laughs> so I wanted to explore other things within, you know, biological yep. sciences, yeah. So I went to toxicology, it was molecular toxicology. I think I found more of a home there. Uh, in the molecular biology side of things, um, at least for that time in, in my life. Uh, you know, and, and I really enjoyed that. And, and then I've gone on and done other, you know, scientific uh, studies, shall we say, or, or areas, you know, so immunology and virology and bacteriology, all this kind of stuff, right? Uh, 
Um, and um, yeah, but biochemistry was, it was something else. <laughs> By the end of it, Stryer, that, that book totally floored me. <laughs> oh, good grief, Stryer. Stryer yeah. and Bert and Bert as well was the, uh, the other big textbook. I was a Bert fan. My wife was actually a Stryer fan. So we, we, we had one of each and we okay. competed okay. Study together through biochemistry. She was biological medicinal okay. chemistry. So when you came to do your degree in Glasgow, did you always envisage going back to Norway afterwards? No, it was a big world. In fact, I always thought I want to go out and see what's in the world. You know, it's this almost like that. So I would say a claustrophobic feeling to stay in one place. I want to go out and see what other people are doing, how other people do things, how different science is done, what are everybody doing? I don't, you know, not... Uh, to inward looking more outward so I knew I would be going elsewhere yeah okay yeah. so we will come back on these points but you said you wanted to travel so let's do this at breakneck speed like we're in a some sort of smart machine that you get in and you go from Glasgow to well from Norway to Glasgow to Surrey to uh, I went back to Malaysia, so and I did my PhD in Malaysia, and that's uh, due to family circumstances, you know. So, um, and it was good. And then from from Malaysia, I went back to UK to Bath, and from Bath to Exeter, Exeter to Singapore, Singapore to uh, briefly Germany, then Germany to uh, Finland, Corpio, and then I went from Finland to Canada and Alberta, Alberta back briefly to Corpio, Corpio in Finland to Australia, Australia to um, Aberdeen via route of Dublin to see my sister. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, you know, I think I put a suitcase on a plane once and I think that was the journey it took before we actually got back to me that is quite I know remarkable. why <laughs> <laughs> that is quite a remarkable career in a short breath of time because it's not you know you're, you're not near the end of your career anywhere near it yet so it's <laughs> really that that's a huge where, where did you spend most of the years where have you spent longest you know, I don't know. I feel like, I, I guess Singapore, because that was about seven, eight years, you know, um, that's probably the longest. Yeah. Um, and most of them, it's probably been four or five years and then going on to something else. You know, there's new opportunities always in the horizon and you can see or do something different. And So did you never fancy putting roots down in any one of those locations? Or were you always moving purely because not not just the job that excites you but because you just wanted to go and see somewhere else yeah it's a good question I think as when I was younger not so much you know um it was always it, what is new what is what is what can we go and discover right and how can um but as I've got, gotten a little bit older maybe more mature wiser yes um and I would say that Finland will always when I went to Finland, I felt like I was going back into the Scandinavian lifestyle a little bit. It was a little bit different still, you know, it's the, the land of the thousand lakes is a very beautiful country. Um, and it just has a very, I would say softness to it. There's something about it. It's just very calm and it's just, you just breathe. And I really, I have a, a big soft spot for Finland and I could see myself sitting there 
in front of the lakes, you know, uh, midsummer's night uh, with a nice cold beer or whatever you want, you know, and you just uh, have a sauna, relax. And, and that is roots, I think, to me. That's a, a place I have roots, yeah. Okay, so yeah. quick point, Finland or Norway? Finland. Malaysia or Singapore? Singapore. Singapore, Finland. Oh, two very different ones. Can't make a choice. I would have a house in both places if I could. Okay, Canada or Australia? Uh, I think Australia, actually, yeah. Okay, Australia or Finland? Again, it's a hard choice, they're very different, yeah. But I'm almost tempted to say Finland, yeah. Okay, so Finland or UK? Hard one in a way, but I think I still go back to Finland, yeah. Oh. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. If you if you're listening from Aberdeen, Andrea's going soon. She's just normal gray hair. No, no. I, I'm thinking uh, you know, Aberdeen to, to San Diego, you know, maybe that's the next stop. Or I haven't been to South America and I haven't been to China or Africa. So, you know, there's still a lot to see in the world. So you're not looking to settle and put roots firmly down yet. You've already scanned, say, San Diego, Latin America, China, all places on your, your wish list. My to-do list, yeah. <laughs> you never know, right? Send <laughs> right. me some pictures and we'll come to those pictures later. I, I, in fact, I think Alberta was maybe some of the better ones. You sent me a picture of Alberta, which is looking very dry and sort of desert-like. Uh-huh. And yeah. sent me a picture of Alberta that is covered it's in snowy. snow. <laughs> yeah. And now you're up in Scotland where you'll also have the sunny days, wet days and snowy days. So mm -hmm. These places have quite mixed climates and yet other places you've gone to, I, I'm sure you sent me a picture of Singapore as well. There you go. Yes. Uh, classic, classic picture mm -hmm. of the, the night sky of Singapore, yep. which doesn't have such a varied climate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you prefer? Do you prefer the dramatic, the, 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 the seasonal weather or do you prefer, yeah, it's a, a Groundhog Day, same weather each day, day in, day out almost. It's really hard. I think that's part of the problem because you get used to, um, you know, experiencing different things. So I know when I came back from the tropics, there were certain sounds, you know, birds would make, so certain types of birds. I would miss that because I'm used to it in the morning and you're used to the heat, the heat and the humidity. Uh, and then when you were in the tropics, you, you miss the seasonal weather. Um, so I decided my range is sort of minus 25 to plus 25 is, is quite optimal for me. Um, you can get up to plus 30. Uh, minus 45 is not for me. So I experienced that in Alberta and I was, that was not, not good. <laughs> you know, and there's places in Canada that's minus 60, but um, wouldn't like to try that. No, but I think, and you know, it's climate wise, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. We all like to have sun, right? Uh, and we all like to go skiing as well. So yeah. You know, a, I need a private jet, just fly around the world. <laughs> it isn't just travelling that you've changed around. You Obviously, you started, you say, as a biochemist, you went into toxicology, you mentioned that you've looked at different sample types. When did you first get involved with flow cytometry? Well, that's a good question. So we had a flow cytometer when it was in... Um, 
Malaysia. So uh, we was the, the lab was being started up, and you know there was a lot of new equipment coming in, um, and they invested well in that. Uh, so that I would have been doing my PhD. I started to you know dip my toes into it, and then you know there wasn't wasn't anything in Bath or at the time, but Exeter had one sitting in the cupboard. I remember it was a Beckman Coulter one and I was very excited because I kind of knew what it could do. You know, I wasn't uh, uh, necessarily needing it at the time, but I, I knew it could, you know, apoptosis and everything else, it counted very quickly. And uh, we had the opportunity, if you wanted to, is to try to put it all back together. And we sort of started doing that before, just before I went to Singapore. And then, of course, Singapore had flow cytometers and we bought the laser scanning cytometer from CompuSite, which is what... I yep. eventually anchored and started, yeah, yeah. So it's been a bit sporadic until it sort of came full force, really, in Singapore, I think, yeah. Because that, that, I presume, was through a research career. Yeah. Uh, through academic. And then you ended up actually running cytometers, and actually that became your science. So instead of the, the application, actually the technology and the application of the technology became your science. So that, that's quite a different step. From being you know, primarily one singular focus to being quite broad breadth of focus and supporting as well. So, it is, yeah. But I think, you know, understanding the technology is a focus, right? Um, you have to understand that to actually apply it correctly and get correct data. And I remember one PI saying to me, I don't care how you get the data, I just want the data. And that's, you know, it gave me more gray hair, <laughs> shall we say, because <laughs> I'm like, well, that, that's not correct. You have to understand how you get it so you know you've got good data and that you have done it correctly and you can interpret it correctly, you know. Um, so I think that that focus of understanding the technology um, perhaps shifted, it was a shift there, you know, from being an academic or traditional more academic postdoc going into facilities and understanding how to use things yeah was it a good step sorry was it a good step in your career are you glad you moved out of the sort of the, the hardcore research I, it's still hardcore research but <laughs> out of that sort of single track into the more core facility track i'd say it's a yes and no i think it's 50 50. um i think it depends a lot with people who you work with if they recognize what you're bringing to the table um, at least within universities, a lot of times you will hear things like we are service providers, uh, which, yes, we provide a service, but also lecturers provide a service as in they are teaching, right? They give formal lectures. Um, we bring a lot of uh, knowledge about, you know, how instruments work, uh, the techniques, everything that has to go in for a moment, right? Um, we also have to explain and also educate users and students on data analysis and interpretation, whether or not they're interpreting correctly within the biological model. So if that is valued and you're considered as a partner or a collaborator, then it's a very rewarding. But if someone takes all that knowledge and experience from you, which you have gained over 20, 30 years, you know, depends how long you've been doing it or even 10, and don't acknowledge that, um, 
then it's it's very disheartening i think yeah so yeah have you encountered both environments where it has been very supportive of core facility type infrastructures and uh, the career tracks and the recognition of the expertise and other places that have just it, 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 it's not so well appreciated the skills that are required oh for sure yes uh, I, I definitely have encountered both and um i think you know career track is is we have to change our way of thinking right it's not no longer this traditional academics who are uh, writing a little bit of grants etc and they everything uh, is kind of sort of around that you know um I think we need to change that. Uh, if you don't do a PhD or if you decide to go into the more, as they say, technical professional roles, which is actually part of the university infrastructure, right? We run the university in many respects, you know, we are the glue that holds things together. Um, we, we, the, the career track has to be recognized, you know, and you need to be able to um, reward people who actually are able to improve it as well and drive it forward in, in, in different ways that may, than you know, bringing in funding perhaps um, in the traditional manner. Because if not, you're not going to keep those people either. So, you know, if you have um, someone in a professional technical track and, and they develop a, um, a good core facilities, as we're talking about core facilities, they should be um, recognized for that you know and, and promoted for that so that you don't just hit that glass, sort of glass ceiling type thing and then that's you and then you see your, your peers continuing up on academic track and being recognized for things um, and it's also very important um, I think for the for the nation as well if I can put it that way because if you have a national infrastructure and a national program that recognizes infrastructure um, you can get better support and funding which for these instrumentations and people who have that expert knowledge and that will do you know really drive um, innovations and new commercializations um, and I think that Australia recognizes it very well or has done in the past and been very well connected. EU has to a certain degree as well. And, um, and of course, Singapore has always had the, the ability to have a very long term um, view, you know, they roadmap it for 20 years and bring out a star and, you know, yeah. recruit people, etc. And, and, and so I think it would be very nice to see that in the UK as well, which I'm sure it they do <laughs> to a degree. I, I, I actually think the UK is really good. I, I've got okay. to stand up. I, I think, you know, we've got the technicians commitment that's been worked yeah. on. I think the funding panels allow us to apply for primary funding, uh, yeah. which, which is great. And the recognition of that, there is a big drive. And I think there are sectors that are missing. I think at York, you know, this, this was recognized back 20 years ago when we opened up and they really supported the careers. Uh, and the infrastructure and support behind it but maybe that's not the case everywhere in the UK and I was going to ask what it was like compared to other countries because I've also heard other countries complaining about their lack of support compared exactly. to what we have in the UK exactly. so it's interesting yeah regional within the UK as well 
Exactly right. And I think it's regional in every country, right? If I looked at Australia, Sydney and Melbourne are the two big hubs, right? It's a bit, a little bit look at like uh, London and Cambridge, Oxford, right? Uh, so obviously you get a lot of nice infrastructure down there, et cetera, as well. And I, th I think what you've done in York is, is, is great. Um, and it sort of all connects into each other. Um, I, and it, yeah, so so it's definitely regional um, and it's country based. And what I've always also found interesting is that certain, well, a lot of countries, they will look at what other places do. For example, Australia said, oh, look what Europe's doing. They're doing it really well. Let's adopt that. And, and vice versa, right? So it, it's, uh, and then Canada comes along and says, this is really good. We should have something like the, the technician's commitment, et cetera. So, so it all, you know, slowly trickles along and, and, and you know, improves things. Yeah. So, so thinking about, if I will come back to the core bit in a minute, we'll just go back to your earlier part of your career. You, you haven't just been 100% academic, if I'm correct. You've also worked for some companies as well. So you've been oh, on the commercial side of research. Mm -hmm. How did that compare to academia? Um, I think, in, well, definitely commercial is a lot more focused, as in its results orientated. Uh, it's not that you are no longer thinking as a scientist or or anything like that you know you have to apply your scientific thinking and knowledge so you're not losing anything uh, but you know there is very much it's a business plan and you have to actually achieve those results if possible and i think what is interesting or what i learned with working with these these um, entities was to actually assess very quickly if something is going to fail so is it going to work or is it not going to work? And keep doing that through the lifespan of the, the project, because if it's going to fail and you don't think that it's going to be easy to overcome, it's not the right time to do that. So don't waste your energy. Yeah. And I think if academics or a university environment could take that and think, this is my research, this is my research theme or my lab, what's the business plan? What do I need to do to be successful within that business plan? And be a little bit ruthless and say, I mean, it's not just because I'm interested to know how something works. It might not be the right time to do it, right? We don't have technology, we don't understand enough to do it, um, but don't put everything into that, all your eggs into one basket. I think if people were a bit more ruthless in in their own uh research and, and they sort of think of it as a business plan they would be more successful yeah i, I would say to an extent hmm. yeah of course i you'd have done a phd and we'd have banged our head against a brick wall for three months yeah. or more getting nowhere and going until we crack yeah. it and maybe in a business that that would not be acceptable to be going against the same until you actually get over that hurdle or find a solution around it yeah so You've had the academic side, you've had the mm -hmm. commercial side. I would say now you're sitting in the middle of that mm -hmm. as a core facility, which also brings in not just the scientific skills, but the management skills as well. So how, how much, how much, what percentage of time would you say now has matured into management over actual research effort? Oh, um, I think, Really, I don't do that much management, uh, much research. It's more management. 
subconscious talking there. So I want to do the research, right? Yeah. No, it is it's definitely, I would say, at least 70, 80% is management and 20% is, is going to be doing actual science. But probably I'm fortunate in that I have a very good core staff uh, who, you know, if they don't know the answers, they will come and ask me and they, they update me. Uh, so I would say they're very good at managing up, which, you know, is very important, you know, to have that team. So I'm there for when things don't work. So I'm a problem solver, I think is probably what my job is now. <laughs> I guess if, if anyone's listening that does in their early career and thinking, oh gosh, I don't want to do management. And I was interested in a core facility and now it sounds like it's all management. It's, it's really not, you know, at the start, it's a hundred percent research, you know, it, it's applied research uh, and helping others solve the problems. Only as things move on, does it become, if, if you're minded that way, then it becomes more management. But I'd actually say a, a lead academic yeah, is 90% management. You know, there's 10% thought process, but the rest is just yeah. managing, teaching. The actual time for research becomes much less. Exactly. You, and I think, you know, as you, as you progress, you, you have to think about it as being a leader, right? And allowing, delegating ideas and say, run with it. I, you know, prove me wrong or prove me right. <laughs> and, and trust that what people will do that, right? And, uh, and, and have feedback as well, you know, saying, this is not working. I cannot do the job, for example, I can't, or I could do the job really well. Uh, but these are the tools I need, right? And your job, or at least my job now, is to find those tools and to make sure that that's in place so people can do that, right? And I get enjoyment out of listening to what the data is, right? So people come back and tell me the results. I don't, I don't have to be at the bench doing it anymore, even though I enjoy it and I, I do it to keep my hand in. <laughs> but yeah. So thinking of tools, not just cytometers or other instrumentation techniques, there's obviously tools that you need to learn for the management side, which, which your PhD and the other jobs won't have incorporated. So how did you learn the management skills? Think trial and error to be honest <laughs> on, the job, on the job experience exactly yeah very much so yeah, yeah. And, and where what has been the most challenging time you've had to date in your career that's a very good question uh i mean this i mean life throws so many curveballs right and so you yeah you just gotta roll with it <laughs> the best I, um, I think something which I still struggle with if I'm honest is trying to make people understand um, what works and what doesn't work within an, 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 you know an organizational infrastructure right so to change that mindset sometimes um, that's a big challenge because that's people management and it's uh, trying to influence uh, so if anybody's got any ideas how you do that well, <laughs> send me the real points. <laughs> you can guarantee that's also specific to their environment of how what works in one place won't work in another. That's for yeah. sure. Uh, sure. What about one of the, what's been the most uh, fun time uh, of your oh, career? Uh, in my career, the most fun time would have been my postdoc. 
you know, because I had PhD, I was like, okay, you got to get it done. You got to get out there. You got to, um, you know, uh, focus and, and work hard and get that. And when you came to your, your, your sort of uh, the PhD, the postdoc time, it was like, okay, now I can explore more. You know, there's more freedom. Yeah. Um, yeah. For better or for worse. I don't know. You can get very sidetracked. Right? So, yeah. Have you had any inspirations, people? that have inspired you as you've gone through that career? People that have inspired me. Um, they sort of giving you a path and think, yes, I want to follow that path, or yes, that's going to encourage me to do this more. I don't know. I would, and I, I sometimes feel a little bit sad about that, you know, because some, a lot of people will say they had someone who really inspired them or was a good mentor for them. And I don't feel like I had that or not yet, at least you never know. But I will say that going to conferences, I always enjoy because you go out there and maybe that's where the inspiration comes. You go out there, you listen to what people are doing. You talk to people who are uh, either your peers or who are, you know, maybe, maybe junior or more senior, um, but what they're doing in the, in the fields as a, as a whole and where it's going, that's inspiration. I always come back from, from those, big, small, big or small, and I'm going, okay, now we've got to get back into the lab <laughs> so what, and, and do something, yeah. What is your favorite conference? Oh, my favorite conference. Um, Okay, well, I'm going to say two things. One is Keystone conferences were always good because they're quite small, right? And um, it was always uh, something new. I, I love the fact that you can learn something new. Um, and then, you know, well, I haven't, I haven't yet been to uh, Flow UK, so I'm going to reserve that one for later. Uh, but I, every time I've gone to a ISAC conference, a CIDO conference, um, and I know that every year, et cetera now, but they used to only be every two years, so it was very exciting. Um, but I really enjoyed that because it was so easy to talk to people. And, you know, I didn't, when I started, I had no idea, right, who these people were. And I'd be standing in line for something and someone would talk to me. And I think that was really, really nice. Um, that was very open and uh, welcoming environment. Yeah. So scientific ones, I was, well, I should say, you know, sort of more the, the, the when I was doing a lot of work in apoptosis, the keystones was really good. But then in cytometry, I've always enjoyed Yes, I think Saito has to be the lead conference. Uh, so are you going this year? No, I'm not. So I, I was a little bit sad. So, um, but I hear it's in Montreal next year. So I have some really good friends in Canada as well. So, you know, I can uh, probably put, put going to Montreal and going to Halifax to see them in, in one basket. So, <laughs> so if they've not released that information yet, we'll, uh, we'll edit that. You will redact that. <laughs> <laughs> I am joking. Uh, so we've got a joke. Some quick questions, actually. Do you have any bad habits? Oh, yeah. Everybody has bad habits, yeah. Oh, what, uh, give us one of your bad habits. Well, not literally give it, as in what is one of yours? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, bad habits. Uh, well, one thing is that I definitely drink too much Coca-Cola. I can tell you I live off it. So, okay. yeah, my sister will definitely just say that. I also need coffee. You know, it takes about three three cups of coffee to get started. Um, 
uh, other bad habits. Um, I procrastinate. It's probably a big one. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's just science. <laughs> so you've got to think, right? Procrastination is just thinking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, what about pet hate? What 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 habits? Other people's habits annoy you, or what they do? What annoys you? Within the scientific field, I should say, you know. Oh no, just anything, or, anywhere. Okay, so definitely, if I if any students are listening there, please read more. Um, you know, I'm. <laughs> I would say, don't just walk up and ask. Oh, um, how do I perfect X and Y? Right. Think about things a little bit. Read a little bit more. That's my pet peeve, probably. Uh, uh just because i think um you should read a lot as a sign you know if you're doing science uh, or you even if it's community science right uh all of, we can be involved in that um, what I found. yeah even siri agrees with me there <laughs> <laughs> oh dear yeah um yeah it's it's not a uh, yes <laughs> be proactive i think um and other pet peeves, I think probably not, and I'm not always good at this, but not trying to understand, if, you know, when people don't try to make the understand, the effort to understand the other person's point of view, because nobody is 100% right. So, um, you know, I think there's, there's always two sides to every coin. So a lot of people don't take that moment just to think, what is it the person's actually meaning? And um, yeah, that's that's probably something that I would say. Yeah, so, okay, so that can get you stressed when you're <laughs> in that situation. What do you do when you finish work, you've had a stressful way, day? What sort of hobbies do you do when you get home? Good question. Oh, yeah, at the moment I don't feel like I've got any hobbies. It's really interesting. So, um, so, so not skiing? You sent me a picture skiing, of you, I presume skiing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I grew up skiing. So, you know, cross country was, I was on skis by the time I was like six, seven years old, which is a bit late in Norway. But uh, yeah, um, so I, I love cross country and downhill is so, so, you know, uh, it's always interesting to me that, uh, you know, I will always start in the bunny uh, or the, the, the sort of green slopes <laughs> and by the end of the season and back onto the blues. Um, yeah, and I used to do a lot of ice skating and horse riding as well. So um, I guess now, I mean, it's, it's more sculpture, you know, pottery. Uh, so a bit more sedate things, yeah. I have, um, it's, a, it's a strange story perhaps, but um, when I was in Singapore, I was out dancing and I had rather high heels, right? They were very high heels. And uh, of course it twisted and uh, I had a very nice tear in my knee. So that required crutches, et cetera. But you know, it's, it's okay. But um, uh, it means that I no longer can go running, which was what I really enjoyed. So um, yeah, so. Everyone can't Surely that was long enough ago now to get back running. You would think so, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The, the guys here, the bone, they, we have a bone research group here and with physiotherapists. Every time I walk past them, they go, you know, I really want to look at your knee. <laughs> you should let them. <laughs> I'll end up with a bionic knee, you know. <laughs> you definitely let them have a go at it. Yeah. 
presume on all your travels, you've done a lot of sightseeing as well. So yeah. again, you sent some pictures. Now, obviously this isn't really sightseeing because this is from your university. Yeah, yeah, this is down at the harbour, exactly. So, uh, and you know, the highlands are beautiful. So in summer is now here. So that's going to be fantastic to go walking in the highlands, you know, so now that we're allowed to go out, etc. <laughs> Aberdeen's a beautiful city, isn't it? Yes. When it's sunny, yeah, it's really beautiful. When it rains, it's a little bit grey, um, which can be okay, but not for the whole year, right? So <laughs> it's beautiful. Some of the, if you go down to the harbour and some of the big infrastructure vessels that are there are just oh, yeah. inspiring. They're huge. They're huge, yeah. quite yeah. something. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, we have the wind farms, right? You're driving along the coast and you can see the wind farms and it's, it's quite spectacular to see it. And, you know, the, the coastline is beautiful. So uh, I think that's a nice thing about Aberdeen. It is small enough to walk across um, and it still has a little bit of a, a town city vibe to it. You can, and you can get it down to Edinburgh and then easy, very easy to get out into the countryside. So you have a little bit of everything really yeah and then you have the, the ocean and, and I've, I've got to mention just thinking about Aberdeen and working in Aberdeen of course Kevin McKenzie recently retired yes exactly I can't we are so without Kevin I know it's it's, it's, it's so yeah exactly it's so hard and um you know I I feel like I miss my coffee person <laughs> you know we, we catch up over coffee and um, he's, he's still around so that's you know it's good he, he drops in into the institute yeah. a little bit and uh yeah but I can't believe it I think it was what 40 years or six yeah something like that he's he a long standard wasn't he there yeah a long time again, a very different career track again for Kevin as well different exactly. came in really from the ground up exactly and and really learned on the on the job which I think sometimes is the best way to do it right uh and you know has a lot of knowledge you we we had such fantastic conversations about things yeah but almost impossible to do what kevin did in today's world i would yeah. say i was i think so yeah which i think is 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 wrong if i could be that strong about the point uh because you know some people a don't want to go to university right it's not quite their their cup of tea to sit in a lecture theater and listen to people and um, other people at the time also may not know what they want to do when they're 16. It's a very young age to make people make a choice. I think that's where the, uh, we're always quite conscious to put all equivalent experience down. Yeah. So actually though, we usually look for a PhD or equivalent experience for most roles, but you can get that experience. But again, people have managed to get it. I'm not sure how easy that is in today's world. Uh, exactly. exactly. But, but so that's Aberdeen. You mm -hmm. then been to so the view looks very nice. You've got water. You then went to Perth, and you've got water. You can see the trend, right? I grew up next to water. <laughs> uh, and they even had well the beach. Yeah. Uh, and a campus beach. Oh yes, exactly. I mean, I, I, I you know, Perth, uh, University of Western Australia has got a beautiful campus. Um, so obviously hospital is a little bit further away, but the main campus is down next to the water and people would go down and sit there and have lunch, right? Or you could go paddleboarding, sailing. It's, yeah, it's beautiful. And I, I get all these pictures have water. You then got San Diego. 
Yeah. Then oh, some water. Huh? <laughs> to the water. Yep. And yeah. obviously Singapore was. You can't see it very well, but it's in the water in the yeah, island. It's a small island, forty-five minutes to drive across, right? <laughs> Did you ever go ever go anywhere? Oh, of course. If it's skiing, you go inland. Otherwise, the sea. Yeah, I think so. It, it's it's probably because I grew up in Norway and I had, you know, we were living uh, next to the water, right? So it's, it's a good orientation. If I know where the ocean is, I feel happy. Uh, when I was in Alberta and Edmonton, it's a big flat plain and I felt a little bit like I was in a Tom Hanks movie, you know, the castaway, I think it was or something. Yeah. Um, and uh, no, that was basically, I mean, there was many things and, and there are lovely people in Alberta, but uh, it's a bit too cold, but I did feel that it was, you know, we were in the, the, the big, a big plane. Um, yeah, so it's really interesting with the water. I've learned that about myself. I need a body of water. <laughs> and you send me to this, so this, the next place you haven't worked at, I don't think, uh, which is down on the South Coast. Exactly. The east coast of Australia. Australia, yeah, exactly. So that was the 12 apostles. So I have some really good friends in Melbourne. We've known each other for since I was a postdoc in Exeter. And um, yeah, so her husband has his commercial pilot's license, although he's a solicitor. He's, he's an interesting character. So he's done many different degrees and, you know, um, it's sort of settled on being a solicitor. But we took a plane out, a small plane, and we flew across the 12 apostles. Yeah. So it's, it was spectacular to see it. Yeah. I, 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 I bizarrely, so we got family down in Wollongong mm -hmm. and Melbourne and Sydney and Perth, uh, Sydney and Brisbane now as well. As I said, so, <laughs> so Emma's yeah. sister lived over there and the family are over there. Actually, we were on Great Ocean Road mm -hmm. and this was, this was not holiday season. We were young. <laughs> trial free we were down there out of term time so it was really quiet and we went down to a small beach no one on it we went into one of the caves no one as we we're coming out there was a couple of people walking into the cave and it's one of my best friends from university alan jensen okay. also yeah. just out of time just of all the places in the world you bump into someone i hadn't seen him for years before and i haven't seen him since <laughs> <laughs> Still vaguely in touch, but that's about it. <laughs> You'll need to go back. <laughs> it's, 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 all the way. He's not even that far. He's, he's actually some. I have to head up in your ways. Uh, up in. Uh, well, you have to come. You have to come up and visit one day. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been a while since I've been up there, and obviously it'd be good to see Debbie as well, and what she's doing with the microscopy side. Exactly. Also. Yeah. Yeah. So some more quick fire questions. Mm -hmm. PC or Mac? Mac. Ooh. McDonald's or Burger King? Burger King. Really? Yeah. Don't know what it is. Oh, okay. Tea or coffee? <laughs> I think I know this answer already. Tea or coffee? Oh, coffee. Yeah, definitely. Beer or wine? Oh. Probably beer. Okay. Interesting, yeah. Light or dark? Probably more light. Used to be dark, now more light. Yeah. Okay. Chocolate or cheese? Cheese. Oh, so sweet or savory? Uh, hard, hard choice there, but <laughs> I'll go sweet. <laughs> you went cheese over chocolate. Wow. Okay. Early bird or night owl? Night owl. 
Oh, definitely night out. Oh yeah, yeah. I could be up until two, three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's fine. But getting up. I think I might have just cracked your problem. So you're up to two or three o'clock in the morning, and in the morning you say you need three cups of coffee to get you going. I think you're not going to bed early enough, you know, Andrew. Think <laughs> it's just being, and then you're on the coke all day. Mind you, that's a Coca-Cola. If anyone's just tuned in, I don't mean Andrew's on the coke all day. I mean she's on. <laughs> well, that could sound so wrong. Oh, it could. <laughs> so I've now got you a crack snorting Aberdeen, Scotland, UK hating. So you're going to be out of a job within days of this coming out. You're going definitely. <laughs> They'll be going, oh, the Viking has definitely arrived. <laughs> yeah. so, so just going back a little bit. When you were young. Yeah. Okay, so when you were a child, yeah. what did you want to be? Riding instructor. I loved horses and I still do. Yeah. So do you I still mean, ride? I did, yeah. I rode up until I had to go to university. I say had to, but I wanted to, you know, but yeah, yeah. So I rode up until I was about 18, yeah, yeah. You wanted to be a horse, okay. So, so then you went to university. When you yeah. started university, what did you want to be? Ah, okay. I, I thought scientist, you know, I wanted to do research. I wasn't sure. So there's a, probably a couple of things. Um, when I was went into high school, so I was at a British school until I was 15 in Norway, so it was an international British school, and then changed to a Norwegian school, um, and did my um, Norwegian exams right for, for basically university entry. Uh, but during the high school, I had a really good biology teacher. I think it's probably what happens to everybody when they're in, in high school, right? You get someone who kind of gives you a, a bit of a nudge in a direction. But I was, I mean, biology itself wasn't very exciting to me, right? I thought mathematics uh, and chemistry was cool. Physics was a bit touch and go. Languages, I wasn't good at. Um, but, you know, we, we started to look at um, DNA isolation, you know? So we did some uh, DNA electrophoresis and we've started talking about photosynthesis and a little bit lipid metabolism and cell signaling. And I was fascinated. So that was really the first time I thought, how does it work, right? I'm not so interested about plant species. I, it wasn't me at the time. It's, it's more interesting now as I've got older, but um, how does a cell actually work, right? What is the communication pathways? And I went to my teacher, my biology teacher, and I said, how does this work? Explain it to me. And I got library books out, right, to try to understand this. And he said, if you want to know more, you have to go to university and you have to study this. And I said, right, that's me. I want to understand this. I want to know more. This is, this is my thing. That stayed with me. I still go cell signaling. It's awesome. So I'll go back. And when I ask about who's been inspirational in your career, who's inspired you, there, there's a very much a case, isn't it? So, yeah. I guess that's that's very true, actually. Yeah, yeah right, right back at you don't always think right back at that start, but oh, yeah, because yeah. that is that 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 yeah, exactly. That would be the person who who kind of yeah inspired me. Yeah, yeah. So they're responsible for you. They are for better or for worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now you are where you are. Yeah. What do you really want to be? What do you want to do now if you could do anything? 
very good question. It's one I don't know yet. <laughs> I, I was just trying to get you into more trouble because you're going to say something completely different to what you're doing. And then you say, I'd rather be in Finland. I don't want my job. And I smoke. I, uh, yeah, I, I do coke. I just want to breed horses, right? <laughs> well, you, can use, you can use the cell sorter to do that as well. You can do an X and a Y, you know, Salesforce yeah. Bird. Yeah, exactly. Now off you go. <laughs> I'm not sure how legal that is at the moment. But... No, exactly. <laughs> I suspect there's some patent stuff going on there. <laughs> so, so, so in the future, do you have any, if you could have any job in the world, what job would it be? Um, okay, so what if I had any job in the world, what it would be would be to really I would say build a build new technologies, new flows, new combining technologies. I like the sort of hybrids ability to bring things in and have omics to it. Um, you know, I don't. We I spend quite a bit of time in cytometry now, and I don't really want to deviate. And I want to know. I want the next thing, right? Um, so that's on the past, perhaps personal career track. Um, but yeah, you know, if the world was you know, I'd love to go to Mars, right? <laughs> Things yeah. like that, yeah. There's, there's that some to space travel, that, that works. That works, exactly, yeah. yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. It was interesting but, what you're saying about the technologies and hybridising them and seeing where they go. Is that, are you seeing a big change in that area at the moment, so the, the, the drive to integrate, hybridise or bring together different technology platforms? I am. I, I think I am, you know, we can see that with the imaging cytometry and the flow cytometry combining, you know, um, and if you, I think speaking to people who, you know, knew people like Louis Kaminsky and other people who developed all these flow cytometers over the time, that's what their goal was, right? To have something fast, could be quantitative, uh, could do imaging. And we're now getting to that point that we could possibly do that. And then mass spec with the site off stuff, right? So, yeah, and mass spec imaging more generally as yeah. well, the, the tissue yeah. imaging. Mm, so exactly. it, it's interesting, but you, you'd find the mass spec imaging for the more generic metabolomics, lipidomic type stuff in a mass spec core. You'd see, as you said, the site off. Mm. Uh, one of Gary Nolan's podcast guest, yeah. you'd see that yeah. in a flow cytometry core more often. Mm -hmm. uh, then you've got your hyplex phenotyping type instruments, your acquires, your uh, nanostrings, your 10x systems, and they so that now they're in two different cores because they're quite often in the microscopy or the genomics core. Exactly. How do you separate and how do you bring together, right? Yeah, yeah. not yeah. easy. That how I, I guess maybe it's the interaction between core facilities, but. Up at Aberdeen at the moment, how are you dealing with that diversity and yet very closeness as all these independent genomics, microscopy, cytometry, mass spec, these individual platforms that are now got grey areas between them? Exactly. It's like a Venn diagram, right? It's Yeah, yeah. So I think Aberdeen is, is uh, you know, we, 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 everybody talks to each other. It's quite a small university it's, you know, it's not harvard or anything like this it's not huge but that that can also be a benefit because you do have that cross-pollination of both staff 
between cores um, who, who, for lack of a better word, are youngsters learning, right? So they're very, they go uh, and do different things, different cores. But um, it also means that the, even the, the, the core leads speak to each other, right? Even if it's informally. Um, so I think it's something that's still in development in Aberdeen. Um, it's, uh, but it's, I think because we're so collegial to each other, if we know a project's coming in, we can say, actually, you're better off going to microscopy. This is not a really good flow project or you're going to struggle. Your answer lies with this platform, platform or technology or mass spec, right? Um, and we'll call up the, the, the cores and say, I'm sending someone to you, right? Um, and, you know, it's, it's the same as data analysis, right? Genomics has unique um, ways of analyzing data and, and visualizing it, which flow uh, or imaging can sort of piggyback on. But I might look at a plugin or a piece of code and go, I have no idea what that means, right? And I'll ask the guys in Genomics, can you explain this to me? <laughs> what do I do? Right. Yeah. So, um, it's kind of, it's, I think, growing from an organic or a root, ground roots level rather than a top-down approach. That, but that, I would say, if I could say Australia with Western Australia, and I think also like Monash, where they put their platforms under technology platforms. Uh, and in Australia, we had the Centre for Characterization of Microscopy, microscopy and Analysis. Uh, so we could put a lot of different platforms under the one umbrella. And I think to make that sort of, center or platform hub means you don't become too siloed yeah I, I, so i yeah, say you know, as small as aberdeen is i'll yeah. give you a plug as well because you know equipment wise you're actually quite well equipped so for a research environment it's very rich uh and i think the size is part of its beauty i think a very attractive place now you sent me this picture and you, you're gonna have to tell me what i'm looking at here Ah, okay. So, <laughs> so this is we were at Leipzig. Uh, yeah, Saito. Yeah, Saito. Like, yeah. And of course, Attila. He he organized a lot there as well. So you know, it was a, it was a great uh, uh, conference, I think. But th that was Ed Luther. So you know, Ed and and um, he comes from the the generation with Howard Shapiro and everybody and growing up with them, right? And Paul Robinson and and Dustin Cavage. And um, I knew Ed since we had, when we bought the CompuSight um, laser scanning cytometer. So I'd known him for many years. And uh, we were just sitting outside having a beer. It was great and catching up. Yeah, but uh, I think these guys know more than we'll ever know. Right? <laughs> and uh, from recollection, Leipzig, the dinner was down in the, the caverns, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Was that not where Faust was? Or am I? not remembering correctly <laughs> it was a fun night down in the cat it was a lovely and actually the food was was quite good down there it was wasn't it yes so what's your favorite dye that's just you can only ask a flow cytometry this really what is your favorite dye kind of probe a horrible question there's so many of them <laughs> I know so many. you must have a favorite you must have one that you just ah an affinity for not necessarily the best just a favorite oh i never thought of that i can tell you i don't like fitzy that i can tell you yeah 
Uh, PE is always one that's going to be stable, right? And it's a good old one. It's always inside. Yeah. It's always, always so there. It makes you green. Yeah. Um, PE makes you red. It gives you a bit of a warm orangey glow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, actually, I think if I, you know, if anybody said, what do you really want to have in your box? Um, you know, if there's only one to choose, it will always be a functional dye. And I think I'm going to go to Tia Marie. Because I can do two different experiments then, right? So, yeah. Good answer. I like that. <laughs> and I'm going to ask, what societies are you a member of? Oh, goodness. Okay. Well, definitely I'm a member of ISAC. So, you know, that's definitely there. And, uh, yeah. Um, and then I am a member of, uh, well, Flow UK, well, Flow UK RMS, right? So, yeah um and then it's it was it abrf as well so um you see tls as well you see tls as well aren't you TLS as well yeah exactly yep. um the rms that definitely yep definitely good yeah yeah yep. and then british society of immunology definitely was one um I think I have to renew, <laughs> talking about membership, I think I have to renew my cell death. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge number of societies. Why is it so important to be a member of all those different societies? Why, why, why don't you just choose one and that, that's where you'll pin your badge to? Why is it important to, have, to be an active part and a member of those different societies? Definitely engagement, networking, to be involved in the wider scientific community and not to be narrow-minded is what I'm going to say. <laughs> to be, yeah, I might be a bit blunt, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they're, they're, they do, they all address slightly different things and they're different communities. Yeah. Uh, as you say, CTS, CTLS, ABRF are very much general core management or anything else. Uh, <clears throat> Isaac, Flow UK, very much flow cytometry, Royal Microscopical Society, microscopy, including flow more generally, and, and obviously do a lot for the community as if well around that area. Uh, oh, you mentioned BSI. Yes, BSI, yeah. That importantly for the immunology side. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot, aren't there? Anyway, so, I've got some more quick fire questions before we get to the end. Book or TV? Uh, I can have two answers. Book for really real relaxing, TV for background noise. <laughs> okay. And TV, do you have any TV vices? Any trashy TV programs that you watch? Oh, um... I, I do tend to watch a lot of crime drama. Yeah, so, you know, mm -hmm. things like that, yeah. And people will not like this. But I don't like EastEnders. <laughs> I, I didn't even realise people still watched EastEnders. Hey, right, yes, <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a kind of point where actually soap opera has just become too time demanding uh, for, to, to keep up with. So what is your favourite genre, genre of book? Um... I would say, well, definitely the crime drama has been sort of the trend in, in for many years, especially the Nordic Scandi thing. Yeah. Uh, but I do like a, a book that can make me laugh. 
Yeah. So a lot of people will, you know, read, I have friends who read a lot of autobiographies and I just think, well, I do a lot of reading, you know, during the daytime, I just want to relax. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Um, what's your favorite film? Favorite movie? Oh, I hate the question. Favorite movie? Um, It, it changes, uh, I will say that, but okay. I will say that I'm really looking forward to the Top Gear number two coming out. Because Top, Top Gear, number, yeah, Top Gun number two. Top Gun, yes, Top yes, yes, yes. I made that mistake, same mistake recently. <laughs> <laughs> I just bought a car, so I've been watching a lot of car stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Top Gun. Yeah. Well, so you'll have to go back, watch the original first, and just recap. And exactly, yes. Exactly. And yes. what music do you like? Oh. So I, I listen to everything, which is not very helpful. As you can see, I'm a very wishy-washy person. I keep changing. <laughs> um, yeah. Heavy uh, pop, classical? Everything. I don't like rap. I will say that. So, you know, rap is not for me, but everything else is pretty much okay. Yeah, there's, I'm sure there's people, days people walk up, you know, past my, my office and they're listening to, why am I listening to Aussie, you know, singing? <laughs> I was wearing stuff. So you said you had your TV on at home as background. Yeah. I'm assuming your office then you just have music on as background, just to sort of as just noise. Yeah, it basically is. Yeah. And it's really interesting because it's almost like, you know, you're doing a bit of work, it keeps it amusing, etc. You know, the paperwork, it gets a bit, sometimes a bit dry. But if you're really analyzing something, and you get into that sort of laser focus, then it has to be quiet. I preferably to be more quiet. Yeah. I, I, actually, I just don't hear anything at that point. So it's lots of distraction. Now, Andrew, we are up to the Good. hour. So Excellent. Thank you very much for joining me today. Very entertaining. <laughs> That's for sure. I don't think I've met anyone who's worked in quite so many countries. And this will be fascinating in another five, 10 years' time. See, how many other countries you've gone through at that point, <laughs> Latin America, uh, China, uh, we'll see where it goes. But thank you for joining me today. Everyone who's listened or watched Flow Stars, please do watch the others, go back, subscribe. You've heard of some of this, Paul Robinson, you've heard uh, talk about Gary Nolan, you've heard those technologies, go back and look some. But Andrea, I cannot wait to meet up in person very soon. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Peter. It was lovely. <laughs>